The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, along with the help of guests from all walks of life. We'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Unhealed wounds, a thirst for unavailable men, and years of seeking salvation in temporary homes found 21-year-old Kristen Birdwell on the doorstep of a decades-older sugar daddy. She thought her life was finally about to begin, but dating Bradley was not the fairy tale she expected. When Kristen's dangerous binge of sex, substances, and scandal landed her in a detective's office, she didn't suspect that the toughest questions would be the honest ones she had to start asking herself. Her book, Sex, Drugs, and Soul, is the story of her healing quest to discover grace within the shadow side of her psyche and behaviors. Forced to come face-to-face with her tendencies toward people-pleasing and self-abandonment amidst grief and abuse, she finally realized that she had truly been missing herself. Through memoir, spiritual practices, and sensual touch, she integrated her light and shadow and has blended her learnings, experiences, and certifications into creative modalities that nurture and empower authentic expression. Please help me welcome Kristen Birdwell to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. I was thinking about your story and just how it really flows with the title of the show, Untamed and Unashamed. So, yeah. Yeah, writing that book is my journey to getting untamed and ashamed in so many ways. Yeah, what's interesting is, um, you know, I titled this podcast that and then this podcast was a part of the journey of becoming more untamed and unashamed. So it's like, I feel that the, the titles we choose, sometimes become initiations. Mm, so true. Yeah. Or stepping into it or stepping into yeah. it as part of our journey. 
Yeah, yeah. So we can really, um, I know there were a couple of titles that I had thought about for this show. And when I thought about it as an initiation, what I wanted to be initiated into, that's mm. when I went with Untamed and Unashamed. So. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so the summary of your book, I read it um, in the intro of the show, but it leaves for a lot of suspense, which is, you know, the perfect summary because it makes people want to read the book. But I was curious if you could just share some of your story with us here today. Yeah, absolutely. I um, That's one of the things that one of the reasons why I chose the title is like, oh, I hope it gets curiosity brewing and yeah. and like and the book description or summary. But um, in essence, like grief and abuse have been some of my biggest teachers on my journey and path. Mm-hmm. And I really paint the the journey or transformation from seeking outside of myself in so many different ways, like the substances, the men to really finding um, like happy, not happiness, but like a love and acceptance for myself. And um, to kind of paint that picture, I started with the tumultuous, rocky relationship with the sugar daddy, but then I kind of go back and give you glances into like early loss and how I, you know, uh, experienced suicidal ideation at some point Mm -hmm. and like really diving into some of the darkness that I did. When I first encountered grief, I was like, I did not know how to process it. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to navigate it. Um, I don't know if we're equipped with that innately. Um, and I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to be the strong person too, in so many ways and um, isolated myself for, to heal or felt a pressure to be um, at a different phase in the grief than than what was authentic for me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there to move the story forward, it's like also when I was 21, I woke up in the middle of the night to my stepfather touching my breast and chest area. And so I, yeah, it's a very um, pivotal moment in my journey because it shut me down in so many ways. Mm -hmm. It um, betrayed me and betrayed like my trust with men too. Um, And I like kind of shielded over myself and I peel back some layers in that in the book and go on to navigate like cancer with my dad and his death. And um, so it's like all of these lost experiences that I'm like, okay, at one point I'm like, what is this going to be teaching me? Or what is it supposed to be teaching me? So I start to make progress and then I back- backtrack a little bit and um, or self-sabotage and end up, you know, seeing someone that was married and, and mm-hmm. going um, and, you know, abandoning my creative desires and moving back home to like the small town area and wanting to be with him and sacrificing like my longings and desires for that sense of safety mm-hmm. and um, and lo- going all in for that love. And I really, <clears throat> in that relationship, it, I was brought to an edge because he made the decision to attempt to hire a hitman to kill his wife. And so I was interviewed oh, in this yeah. process. Yeah, it's insane. Like some of this, I'm, when I repeat this, I'm like, this actually happened. And it took me going to like these extremes to get clear and like, actually check in with myself and start asking myself uh, questions and getting real with my answers and catapulting me on this like spiritual journey to find my truth and my meaning through all of it. And so that it paints it a little bit, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I want to touch on the grief and the suicide ideas. Ideas. Mm-hmm. I always get twisted up in that word, idealization. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to, you know, you, you mentioned that you and really it's times are changing a little bit where we're teaching our children the tools, but for the most part, none of us at our age had the tools to deal with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even think that the counselors 
that we likely were sent to um, had the tools to deal with grief, you know? And so, um, and I, I, you know, I have a lot of compassion on our parents because I don't know how I would parent without all the tools that I have easily accessible to me today through the books, through the accounts that I follow, all these things. And I've told my mom that, Um, but I'm curious when was it that you started to develop tools for handling your grief, mm-hmm. what those tools were and how you were able to reframe your perspective towards grief? Yeah. Um, well, initially after my first encounter with grief, uh, when my friend died, it, after I was like planning my funeral and um, I was like, you know, okay, I want this song and I life will pick up um, whenever I'm gone. It's obviously doing that for my friend or after he died. And so I, um, I I took a moment, I was like, after a moment, I went through my mom's medicine cabinet and it was like, luckily, at, thankfully at the time, she, you know, I think all she had was hormone pills <laughs> So then, because I'm like, okay, because I took some, but they didn't have any, I mean, maybe they just amplified my emotions yeah. in some way with the hormone pills. Um, but it, he came to me in a dream. And so it was like leaning into some of the ethereal qualities and um, a willingness to believe in some of the mystery. I have that verbiage now I don't think I had that verbiage then but like looking back and reflecting it's something that I can see he came into um, a dream and I was lucid I knew I was dreaming I was like you're not supposed to be here why are you here and he's like I'm I'm safe like I or like I'm happy he's like it's the and so it gave me like a sense of an assuredness and to at least like go forward and and start making um, steps forward. Mm-hmm. And similar with my my dad as well, like after he died, he came to me in dreams and, and things like that. And then I found like different um, books, like Tuesdays with Maury. Um, yeah, so good. Uh, and, and like really um, started, you know, I've found the artist way and kind of poured myself and my pain in some ways to creating and like taking myself on artist states and um, stream of conscious journaling. Mm-hmm. and um and finding support in like different community aspects and exploring like okay I'm gonna take this class and and um another method that I used too was I was living in California at the time and um I would when I would could peel myself out of my apartment I would walk to the beach and I would go on these like therapeutic walks and be in nature and I'd come back and I'd just like pour my heart out to my, the page um, like I was writing to my dad like I wrote in these letters and um, that really, really helped process some of the emotions too. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the journey, like this whole writing process was definitely a way to help. Um, and I think that it's been there in little moments, but really just having the clarity of seeing like how pivotal it's been on the grief journey. Mm-hmm. And then plant medicines too. I had a um, experience with mushrooms that really I felt like helped set, hit the reset button on joy. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had this... Um, Kind they of are a reset button on joy for sure. Every time yeah. I see them, yeah. the first two hours is first hour is literally hell for me. Usually mm-hmm. it's whatever my hell is. I'm there. Mm. But on the other side of that is so much bliss, like orgasmic bliss. And oh. that's, um, I, I want you to tell your story, but I think that like um, is kind of what you were saying, like on the other side of the grief 
there's mm. bliss, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to hear yours and then I'll, I'll share a little bit about my last mushroom ceremony. Also. Oh, I'd love to hear. It. Yeah. I, um, someone mentioned recently they made the comment that like underneath that grief is just like, um, the love or the layers of love and it indicates yeah. like how much you love and, and long for that person. And so I thought that was pretty beautiful too. Yeah. But Martin, the- Martin Prechtel's, sorry, Martin Prechtel's, oh, no, you're good. um, grief as praise basically mm-hmm. talking about that. That you're grieving because you loved something so much. It's it's really beautiful. But yeah, okay, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. So I um felt like I astral projected and I had a moment that you're talking about, like that moment of hell, or like Mm -hmm. um I was like feeling really anxious and my heart was just like (laughs) bitter pattering. And then I I don't know if it was me or if it came from somewhere else, but I just heard surrender. And then like, that was a moment that I was really able to like, let go and feel like I was going through this sky astral projection journey. And I felt my dad's presence. And I was like, wow, you've never left me. You've been Mm -hmm. here this whole time. Like I thought you had abandoned me. And like, I was crying and laughing because now it seemed funny that the Mm -hmm. idea of him even being able to be gone was, (laughs) was so absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think a big thing to plant medicine about how we tend to have to sit with a bit of darkness first Mm. or a bit of fear or feeling like we can't breathe, whatever it is, feeling Mm -hmm. our hearts palpitating, whatever it is. Um, Maybe we took too much medicine, like all the thoughts, you know, like, fuck, I fried my brain, you know, all these thoughts that we we, um, experience in the very beginning of the medicine kicking in, I think is like, for us, it's like rewiring the nervous system to know that in our day-to-day life off of medicine, anytime those moments come up of fear or pain or grief or sorrow, that we can sit with it, that we can get through it. Because like, I feel that a lot of times I I feel that depression is a lack of hope in the future. And I think a lot of times when we struggle with suicide, it's because we don't think the grief is going to pass. There's no Mm -hmm. hope for the future. Mm -hmm. But I think what plant medicine teaches us in that experience of like going through a dark period and then moving through to the bliss um, or to the surrender is that it always passes. Mm -hmm. And if we can sit with it, if we can surrender to it, um, look what is on the other side. There's a smile around the corner. And that's why I got smile tattooed on my back and uh, by this little monk and, and pie Thailand is because six months prior to that, I was contemplating suicide. Mm. And then I was the happiest I'd ever been in pie camping under this little mountain. Mm. And I got smile because I wanted to remind myself, like there's always a smile on the other corner around the corner. If we can hold on, I almost missed out on this amazing Thailand adventure because I got stuck in a really depressing month uh you know mm-hmm. prior so here's to my eyes <laughs> yeah and so it like creates that new neural network of I can touch the grief I can touch the sadness and then I can hold on and wait for the bliss I can wait and that's something I also love about pleasure work that I do with women is that um, I teach them to tap into those places before orgasming, because mm. not only does it remind us that the grief and sorrow don't steal our pleasure, that it doesn't steal our pleasure, but it creates the new neural network in our brain of choice. Mm. Of, okay, I can choose to go into the anger, to the pain, to the sadness, and then I can also choose to move into pleasure. Mm. I don't have to get stuck here. And a lot of us don't have those pathways 
you know? So I think that's what's so powerful about plant medicine is it creates those new neural networks for us. I mean, they've proven that through scan, you know? Um, But I know when it comes to grief, um, I had a similar experience. I'm sitting with ayahuasca in a couple of weeks, but I sat with mushrooms last month and man, oh, I had so much ugliness coming to the surface in the beginning. And I just thought, why the fuck do I do this to myself? Like Mm. why? This is very weird that I do this, that I take these drugs to go through this. And it's very weird that I ask other people to do it. Like, why am I asking other people to go through this? Because it was just so awful. And I was like, kind of laughing at myself that like, you know, you're, you're like, a masochist in a way, you know, like you're seeking out pain is really because it, it got so dark. And I was just hearing I was at I was facing so much of my own ugliness. Mm. And then I sat with so much grief of um, my daughters, like, realizing that um, I'm afraid of her grief, that I don't know how to sit with it. And that through that, it steals so much joy in my parenting because I'm like in fear of her grief. Mm-hmm. But if I can sit and hold space for her grief, that it actually removes a lot of the pain that's in my parenting and it it switches it to actually having bliss in my parenting. Um, not that it makes it a cakewalk, but um, through that though, I realized that I no one ever did that for me as a child, except for my neighbor, Eric, who was only in my life for half a year. Um, we really bonded over Kurt Cobain. And so like, there was this like, yeah, let's grieve together. You know, no. the only safe space to grieve. But other than that, I didn't have anyone hold space for my grief. And it definitely, my mom didn't have the tools. And so I faced a lot of grief in this last mushroom ceremony of the fact that I'm learning how to hold space for my daughter's grief while also still mm. feeling my own. And like, um, like reparenting myself while I'm parenting her. And there was just so much grief to that. Um, It felt like not fair to me or to her. And then I looked to my right and my, um, I was me and my sister's group, there's five of us and it's just the most amazing women. Um, We do mushrooms every um, season and work with Mm. that season. So anyhow, I looked to my right and one of them who I love so much was baptizing herself in the bathtub and like singing and just, oh, like I just looked at her and I just thought, fuck this shit. It, this is amazing to watch a woman heal. Like my children get to watch me heal. <laughs> and so it was like that shift. And also her seeing me and seeing me in my grief and witnessing me in my grief, it popped this bubble for me. Mm. And so, um, oh, yeah. So I love, I love how plant medicine reframes our pathways yeah. when it comes to grief. And I think you're setting the example with your daughter. Like you can make different choices. Like you can be presented like, um, you know, or choosing pleasure or choosing and like also holding space for your grief at the same time, but like nav or how to navigate and you're gifting something to like a younger version of yourself um, mm-hmm. while you're raising her in some ways too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know like so many people, um, are nervous of what about what plant medicine might do to the brain that we don't know mm-hmm. what th- what realms you may be tapping into that you may not know and I get it but I know that they work because mm-hmm. since I was 10 years old from 10 to 30 to 20 straight years I um, fantasized about suicide mm. every three months or so maybe more 
um, to the point where like, there, I mean, I had like, there was that one time before Thailand that like, I was certain that that's what I wanted. Since I started plant medicine at 29, and it's been now eight years that I've been practicing plant medicine regularly, I haven't, I mm. have not once considered suicide. Wow. And so that like, to me, that's proof that this works. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I love that it's a part of journey. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to hear also um, some of your recent story. I know you went to a tantric retreat last month, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And I'd love to hear some of your biggest takeaways. Oh my God, there's so many. And a lot of this, like, I feel like um, uh, my writings and book and lessons and insights were like um, living in my mind too. And, it, and the tantra experience really helped have a felt experience in yeah. so many different ways yeah and like I'm like oh is this what that embodiment thing is <laughs> is this what that means <laughs> but you know <laughs> and then um so one that comes to mind is you know after my dad died in 2013 I think I lost so much of I got he was one of the people that I felt safe around mm -hmm. and um really leaning into finding safety within instead of looking to my partner or circumstance to provide that and doing that through like expressing my boundaries, desires, fears, even though like having those conversations or even practicing them, then I was like, Oh my God, no, like this feels awkward as fuck. <laughs> but, and really leaning into honoring those moment to moment, because I had this experience where I was in the middle of a ritual and I went in pretty hard, like, this is a no, this is a no. <laughs> but in that moment, I was really able to relax and um, check in with myself. And, and that no became a yes. And I was able to communicate it as such. Mm -hmm. And then um, really just walking away with the notion that I can ask for what I need. It might not always mean that I get what I need, yeah. but at least I'm honoring like my desire, my truth, my where I am in that moment. Mm -hmm. That was huge. Um, huge, huge one. I had this other cool experience where I was, I felt it felt like a shamanic uh, moment where I was in this ritual and I was looking at the cross from at, uh, someone else. And we were making eye contact and all of a sudden, for some reason, I was like, I feel like I'm looking into the eyes of my younger brother, like my mm -hmm. younger biological brother. And it gave just insight into where he was in his grief journey and how he had adapted like some of the behaviors of, of my dad or our dad, um, like withholding, you know, emotions or not expressing and that sort of thing. It just helped shift my perspective and view him with more compassion and understanding mm -hmm. um, and more acceptance and less and less um, strife too over like, um, why feeling like why can he not confide in me am I not providing that that sense of safety for him um when I'm like you're trying you're working on providing it for yourself <laughs> um another cool one let's see is following my attraction or desire and leaning into that like being curious, I think I assume like, or my knee jerk reaction is to assume that it, if I'm attracted to someone, it's like set in a sexual manner, mm. but following and if I lean into curiosity and I'm like, why am I being drawn to this person? Or why do my eyes keep catching this person or this, um, you know, place or something like what is, it could be that they have a gift of a book recommendation, or I need to hear, hear a moment from their journey or experience that will resonate and shift my 
journey in some way. So like leaning into some of the magic and mystery of it mm-hmm. and, and following that desire to yeah. and expressing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that first one, you know, I went to a tantric retreat at end of June. It was the best seven days of my 37 years. Wow. Um, it was like 85 women, ages 20 to 70. Mm. And, um, you know, we were nude majority of the time. And that alone broke down a lot of constructs in my brain, like being nude with seven, with 85 mm-hmm. other women, um, not just about my body, but about women's bodies in general. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got a solo cast coming out about that. So I won't go too deep into it. But um, that alone, like just being with other women and listening to the stories that came up mm. was really powerful. Um, and, you know, the, the first p- part that you brought up about um, you can kind of have what you asked for. Um, there was a moment where I was just crying in gratitude because I felt like, oh, this is a feeling of belonging that I've never felt before. And that is so healing being in the midst of all these women, because I've always felt like a Phoebe in my life, you know, Phoebe from friends. I've always felt like a Phoebe. And I felt like I was in a room full of Phoebes. Um, And then just, you know, we were doing breast massage and yoni massage for Mm. each other. And while the erotic energy was there, like you said, it didn't necessarily mean that it was sexual that had to be acted upon. Mm -hmm. There was like an integrity still to be held with the person holding the container. Um, but there was a moment of gratitude where I was like, could not believe that I was having that experience because Mm -hmm. of how much joy was in my body. I also had had 70 to 80 orgasms that week. So the chemicals that had been released in my body, you know, for joy, but I just, I was in so much gratitude and I heard the voice you asked for this. Mm. And I, I, for me, it felt like, um, my guide, Mary Magdalene, but I heard you asked for this. Everything you've asked for, I have brought to you. Mm. Like you asked for community, you have community. You asked for sacred sisterhood, you have sacred sisterhood. You asked for this feeling, you asked for this type of purpose and you have it. Like everything, Mm. you asked to put your kids in Montessori, they're in Montessori. Like everything you asked for, I bring to you. Like you just have to ask, Mm. you know? and of course, there's things that, you know, are not always probably in alignment with my highest good that I'm not in uh, recognizing at the time of asking for it. And I can always look back and think about like, oh, I got better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because my vision board for this year is hanging hanging above the laptop right now. Um, but yeah, so um, I just, you know, you think and you 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 also talked about how like the thought of it being awkward, like going into that retreat and knowing that I was going to be nude with 70 women and that there was going to be certain massages or dances or, you know, I gave, I think three strip teases to the full room, you know, to to some silly songs. And, you know, um, I knew it going in and I didn't have this thought that it would be awkward, but I had this thought of like, um, I cannot believe I'm doing this. Like, mm. I can't, like what's going to happen? Am I going to go into a shell of myself, you know? And just, um, man, I, it just, it all felt so natural. And yeah. so, um, yeah, yeah, I just, I wanted to say that cause I wanted to encourage anyone listening that 
might have the inclination to try something like that out. Oh, please do like follow the curiosity. I say, I, I get the whole edge thing too. Like there were moments, I mean, each moment, I think um, I'm like, I'm going to be doing what? (laughs) Because I didn't know um, like a lot of the details going in. And um, I, it felt like a process of edging in a personal growth uh, sense as, and a physical sense. Cause like being nude in a room full of people and and going on this, on this journey. And um, I think I wrote in my journal too. It's like, thank you for showing up for you. It's like, I had that moment. It's like, wow. Okay. I I'm doing something right. I'm I'm having these experiences and this much deep healing and release and pleasure and joy and all in one uh, week. (laughs) Yeah. And knowing that you can lean into those edges while also, not abandoning self by knowing what your window of tolerance is. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I'm not available for this and I'll respect myself in that. And then, you know, majority of these women I was so gravitated towards, but there were a few that didn't feel resonant for me. And, uh, you know, trusting that too, that like you can hold those energetic boundaries of who you will and won't practice with. You know, there's all of those when it comes to edging that, you know, you can work with like really pushing yourself to the like, edge, 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 while also knowing your window of tolerance. That's in anything that's in trauma work. That's in your coaching, you know, Mm -hmm. writing your book. It's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was very cathartic and healing too, like to um, get really clear on like, okay, what are my non-negotiables or what are my, or like, what are my boundaries or because of the people pleasing. I mean, I'm sitting here nude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm naked physically and emotionally. (laughs) I feel raw. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, because I know, um, you brought up sugaring and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, cause I've seen that you've gone on like actual news stations. Like, I, I don't know if it was San Antonio or Houston, like morning news, whatever it was. And I, I've seen that you've done, you know, a bit of um, a promotional tour, if, mm-hmm. if you will, like local tour for your book. And I'm curious when you bring up, I, I don't know that you've brought up the Tantra stuff, um, the nude retreat stuff since that's recent, but when you've brought up the sugaring stuff, mm-hmm. I'm curious um, if you've, been met with any sort of judgment where people took you less seriously possibly, or if um, shame came up for you at all and how you navigated that. Because I know for me, um, it's not so much the case anymore because of the people that I call in um, Mm -hmm. as podcast guests, they're really resonant with the fact that I'm here in service of women's sexuality. And there's not this like, what do you mean sexuality? You know, Mm -hmm. like there's none of that, but for a while there, when I was still, um, I think I had to get to a point where I didn't carry any of that shame mm-hmm. in my own body um, to where none of that was being attracted, people who carried that shame as well. But I'm curious for you when it came to the sugaring, because there's still so much stigma and, you know, mm-hmm. on that. I'm curious if, um, yeah, that's something that you had to navigate in your interviews, people maybe holding shame towards that or judgment towards that yeah or trying to steer the conversation into one direction or another I think like Mm -hmm. um and I was surprised I was like oh wow these are some smaller market like I did um well Houston was larger 
and I did uh, that one was the most most like flowy cohesive like mm -hmm. um they understood the like more of the journey I felt like they had probably read it more yeah. <laughs> but um like with Shreveport and Amarillo particularly Shreveport I felt like there was a moment where they're like oh so yes you're you're admitting that you've done the this thing you've uh, had a sugar daddy or you know have or had <laughs> mm -hmm. and um are you advising against it? Like that mm -hmm. kind of stance. I'm like, mm, that's not really what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, it comes to discernment for their own individual. And like, are they coming in the intention and are they coming from a sense of disempowerment or empowerment mm -hmm. for myself? Like a friend of mine uh, recently brought up to the surface too, that like shame likes to hide. And so for me, it was a lot of navigating because of that religious um, upbringing too. Like, okay, is this shame mine or is this projected onto me from uh, their beliefs or is this, um, you know, kind of, kind of like navigating through that mm -hmm. and um, seeing what is mine and what isn't. And then the openness with it all really helps, I think, liberate um, the shame too. Yeah. So I, I, before that first report interview, I definitely felt some like, I'm nervous. <laughs> like my body felt hotter. I don't think yeah. I slept very well going before it because to me, it was also a pivotal moment of like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like what you said about the name um, of choosing untamed and unashamed. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm choosing to talk about this. I'm choosing to release any lingering shame. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd love to go into, um, you said, you know, if someone's going to, uh, have a sugar daddy or, or be, um, have some sort of, um, sex work type mm -hmm. job. If it's from disempowerment or empowerment, um, you know, I think that's so much a part of like the, um, the person who's offering, um, mm -hmm. the service, but also the client, if you're using manipulation to disempower them, or if you're using mm -hmm. your, sexuality in a way to actually empower them that that can mm -hmm. be kind of a, I don't think people realize that that can be a clean exchange mm -hmm. you know um, people pay for therapy massages like, all kinds of right, different right, right but when you bring in paying for sex work or tantric work people for some reason think it can't be clean mm -hmm. and I think that there is and of course there's a whole industry out there that has been perverted and um uh, comes from a place of disempowerment and a place of actual sexual shame, not from sexual um, freedom and liberation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's just, there are a lot of nuances in it and, and a lot of um, stigma. And um, I think that, I think, I feel that we're coming into a different time. I, do um, too. I have so many friends that are, tantric priestesses that um do sex work type healings um and it's a very um there are huge energetic boundaries and it's a very clean exchange I mean clean exchange almost sounds like a a, a joke you know <laughs> but like energetically it's a clean exchange yeah. um and uh it it feels from my experience with them and witnessing them like deep, deep spiritual work. And so mm -hmm. I can see how, yes, it can be something that feels dark for those who um, are doing it from a place of unworthiness and a place mm -hmm. of disempowerment and a place of um, uh, 
codependency even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I've seen and and uh, the women that are in this work that are doing it consciously, mm-hmm. and it, it sounds so mind boggling to so many people, I'm sure, to be a conscious sex worker. But man, it's it's really fucking healing because it's so healing, many man. of so many of our problems in the world are rooted in our sexuality, and for someone to hold space for someone's kink or sexuality in a mm-hmm. clean container in a conscious container oh my god you know and there is also the thought of are they hiding it from their partner like all these things you know because I personally um I w- when it comes to um sugaring or being a sex worker like even if you're not at that place if you're doing it with integrity meaning that like you're not keeping it from your partner and living a double li- double mm-hmm. life, I don't understand what, what the judgment is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that I said that too, because I felt and experienced both. Like I initially, like um, when I paint the picture of the book journey, like 21 year old me was going very disempowered, very um, not thinking I was worthy or good enough, but thinking kind of naively in some ways, seeking adventure and some materialism and stuff like that. And, and just like a way to numb out too, like with the mm-hmm. alcohol and the cocaine and, um, so many different substances like that. And then I've had the experience within the last year of like doing it from a more conscious place. And like, um, cause I took a break and then I, uh, last year I was like, well, this could be something to re-enter with a different level of awareness, with a different mm-hmm. level of intention and communication, integrity, mm-hmm. and, um, and, ch- and while honoring like my boundaries and energetically or physically, mm-hmm. um, navigating, like, do I want to interact with someone or not? Yeah. Um, and I think that I, yeah, it can be a way to like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to. Uh, have seen one or two people while I'm building my ghostwriting and while I'm building my coaching business and use it as this way to to help elevate me too um, versus like a way to numb out it was also became a way to connect with people in different manners mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah and you know I think about too like someone listening to this or just thinking about someone in that type of work that just their initial reaction is just is it's just not right It's just not right. You know, it makes me like, because that was me in my early Mm twenties. That was me in my mid twenties, even as a, as a, um, as a playboy model who was frequenting the mansion and shooting full on nudes. I still, when it came to actual sex work was like, oh, that's just not right. Like it's, um, to me, it just, um, I, I could not fathom that it wasn't coming from a place of trauma, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but that sentence that people often probably think it's just not right. Like if we can just take a moment and say, who said so? Like, Mm -hmm. where does that story come from? Like, and also why are we so quick to think that we know what's right for someone else? Exactly. That's like, like, um, the most egotistical, like, like, um, I just recorded with Kelly Brogan about this. When we think that we should be able to choose for everyone else what's right and wrong, or even be able to label what's right and wrong for anyone other than ourselves. And it like, there's that thin line, even with our kids with letting them choose their own path, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you, like, I just want to offer for anyone listening when it comes to anything, not just this, anything, if you have that thought of like, it's just not right. Mm -hmm. It's just not, um, like I remember when I had an OnlyFans 
I was in a car with some girls and they, uh, for another job and someone said like, it's just not wholesome. And I thought, but like says who, mm-hmm. what is, what's wholesome to you? Mm-hmm. Why do you get to d- dictate or decide what's wholesome for someone else? Like what, like also wholesome, the word wholesome. Yeah. yeah. Or what? <laughs> yeah. It was like, it's, you know, who, where did that story come from? Yeah. Like, why do you believe that you have to be wholesome? Like what, where did that, yeah. Why are you conditioned to believe that you have to behave? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so just, you know, it's really, really fucking powerful to just start to question where our thoughts came from because they're really often so many times we think like that we're thinking for ourselves and that's, that's why we're not doing that. But a lot of times those thoughts are actually are not ours because if we're labeling something as wholesome and not wholesome or wrong or not uh, wrong and right, it's likely not actually our thoughts. And you know, it's one thing to like stand in your sovereignty and know what feels good for you, but labeling something right or wrong is really dogmatic and it's, um, it can wreak havoc in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And so, um, and you're attaching some narrative to it. And it's like, where did the narrative derive from that you're attaching? To, yeah, you know? Something I love about Tantra is that nothing is right or wrong. Everything just is. And everything has consciousness. God is consciousness. Everything is holy. Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is holy. And that's like, to me, that I almost like consider Tantra my religion because it's like everything it just resonates so deeply. And, um, but then at the same time, I can see how, um, when the fundamentalist or the dogmatic religious person shows up, um, if they're making my experience bad, I tend to then do to them what they're doing to me of like, Mm -hmm. you're wrong for making me wrong. (laughs) Once they show up in that way, I actually end up sometimes matching that. And Mm -hmm. so that's my big work right now is, staying in that neutrality mm-hmm. and like coming to the place like okay can I send that person compassion <laughs> or can I approach it with mm-hmm. compassion within myself too or is it illuminating something that I need to work on <laughs> yeah. and it's really really hard work when you have religious wounding because you grew up being told yeah. like the story of original sin that you were right or wrong mm-hmm. you were missing the mark you know all these things and so um yeah it's big big work and it's not something that I mean I've been working on this this came into my awareness in January that it's a behavior of mine and um that it's a wound of mine and we're now in August <laughs> and I'm just like scratching this feeling back later <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um all right so your story doula yeah I like to call myself that (laughs) I love that so tell me what happens when people work with you I'm I'm a I've literally just written only the dedication and like the Mm. intro flash forward to my book and even in reading it I'm like Hmm, like <laughs> this is a rough draft. <laughs> um, yeah, just keep moving forward. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, something I'm doing is chanting with the sunrise and then writing mm. before I do anything else, getting on my phone, anything else, writing from that illumination. Mm. And I'm just crying the whole time I'm writing, not because I'm sad, but because, like, I don't know why I just can't stop crying when I write. Um, mm. I think because it means so much. Yeah. But I haven't quite figured out 
Um, I think that like yours, my story is extremely entertaining. <laughs> it's like a fucking movie. Like, yeah. like, it, like the way I kept saying wow to yours, like I say that in my own head about mine. Like, yeah. oh, they fucking happen. Right? Like with a guy that forced me to buy Teletubbies, like, like there's so many weird things, you know? And I really want to write the book because I think it can be um, an inspiration for healing in a very entertaining way that yeah. is at times hilarious and at times gut-wrenching, mm -hmm. but I haven't figured out how to write it in a way that flows. I haven't figured out how to write it in a way that doesn't at times sound like a sob story. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm figuring all these things out. So I'm really, uh, for, first, I just want to hear what it's like, what happens yeah. when we work with you. And then maybe you can go into um, how we can piece our story together. Because right now I could write a hundred blogs because they're yeah. separate and they're just yeah. one page, but to turn it into a book that I think is really hard. For sure. And especially, um, yeah, I'll definitely dive into that too. So when I coach work with someone, I either ghostwrite where they're, and so it's always like this creative collaboration. Mm -hmm. I call myself story doula because it's like, I'm helping them bird their story into the world or live a different one, that kind of thing. And so the, the ghostwriting process, we outline together um, on I, and we get clear on like the stories that they want to tell. I interview them to fill in the outline and then, you know, what their objective is for the book, all that kind of stuff or their key message. And then um, I interview them, transcribe the call, pull from that to write in their voice. But with the coaching, which is more like my heart, like the, especially with memoir, like memoir is such medicine. Um, it's the kind of the same process as where like we're outlining together and getting clear on the why, getting clear on the main message, getting clear on who the ideal reader is, and then getting, um, and then painting and like outlining together. And so um, like in really um, outlining the external event that is pivotal for their story arc. So the story arc is going to be um, like the story is about change. And so it's going to be like, okay, you went from, from one state to another and so what are the scenes that are in your life that are going to best demonstrate that arc and so like where do you can you think of a moment where your um, climatic, climatic moment or like your all is lost moment like all is lost or the climatic where you made a different choice where you um, forged a new path and so like what were the defining moments that led to that pivotal point mm -hmm. and um, so those are each of those moments you could collect those and be your scenes yeah. if that makes sense so like to give you an example of one of mine, it's like, after the incident with my stepdad, my inner um, like shift and emotion was that I felt betrayed. I created this wall. I acted from a place of like a conscious parasite in some ways where I was like, oh, mm -hmm. men are gonna use me or see me as this way, but I'm gonna use me before they can. Mm -hmm. and so um, that, that shifted my journey in some ways, right? And um, until, you know, until the next point and maybe the next one is like, cancer diagnosis of my dad it tells the story of the journey and kind of now um and so like when you get to that res they're all like moving forward to resolution basically yeah, yeah. so yeah. can you kind of identify like um the moment in your life like uh who were you before uh or like what moments in your life stand out as a way to show that inner life and that behavior that kind mm -hmm. of thing yeah so for me because that makes sense. But I'm curious because I just, I want to tell my story, like almost like you're watching a movie of like, um, what's, I'm trying to think of a movie that, I don't know, like one that like starts at the beginning, 
it ends where it's at, you know? Um, But like, do, would I just insert those lessons in the midst of, so, because my story didn't get hopeful till age 29. Mm -hmm. So it's like, or age 25 when, you know, my, my best friend came in my life, Tom Shadiak. But if I were to start at my earliest memory at age two, it's so fucking traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And then to go into from there all the way up to 25, like how would I make it from age two to 25 where it's not just this like really depressing read? Yeah. Do I insert those thoughts and moments? Yeah. You could do like little um, flashback moments and be like, Oh, if you have a scene and like, Oh, this, now, you know, that this resonated or this was um, originated from this core wounding of age two. It's like, you don't necessarily have Mm -hmm. to tell all of the story initially from age two, unless that's where it really, unless you really think that um, the reader will benefit from that story, or you can recap it in a sense in a shorter format. Um, yeah, I like the flashback yeah. idea because it almost makes more sense and it makes you want to read it more if you start out where I'm at today. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, I want to get there. I want to get that. <laughs> so if I start out here and I'm just doing the flashbacks, it stays entertaining and still tells the story while linking it to where I'm at now. So yeah. that's a really good idea. And then you can also insert or like, you know, flower it with a little bit of um, what you do know now, because the person telling the story is not the two-year-old. It's not the 25-year-old. It's you now knowing what you know, knowing what you do know. Um, And so you can answer like, okay, what I do know now is this, or like, because of that, this happened. Um, And then also getting clear on like your starting and stopping point would be a good too. Because I don't think that a memoir should be every single moment of your life. But like really the ones that make up that um, arc of transformation or the or that support your key message that you want to share with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of my part of my desire to write this. Because I already healed so much of it, but there's something about telling it that for me feels like closure mm-hmm. in a way like it almost feels like, OK, this had a purpose. Mm-hmm. someone's gonna read this and um either get a laugh or um know something they can avoid for themselves or just something you know like mm-hmm. there, for some reason it puts purpose to it mm-hmm. um and I don't know if that's even necessary but it's what like for me I think it's part of why I had this podcast um it's part of why I do solo casts around my ceremonies it's like for me it it puts even more purpose on my experiences. Um, but I'd love to hear how writing your story, because some people might not want to publish a book. They might not want other people to read it. Mm-hmm. They might not want to have to go through the excruciating process yeah. of <laughs> and processing and, and um, uh, promoting and uh, publishing all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, possibly losing money, you know, all these things. They may not want to go through that, but journaling their story as if as if they're going to publish it um could apply here too so I'm curious how writing your story or writing our story could help with healing yeah for sure I think that um it definitely will help cultivate or it definitely does help cultivate for me um a a deeper sense of intimacy with self and then because of from my years of people pleasing, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I desired. I didn't know what I valued. I didn't know what I stood for. Um, and so like recollection like putting that reflective lens on things and like bringing it to this present moment too. It's like, 
um, it strengthened my self-connection. I got to ask myself questions and, and journal them out. Like um, when my writing coach and editor actually, she's like, how do you feel about this? I was like, <laughs> she's like, that's one of your assignments then. <laughs> like, yeah. how do I feel about blank and insert that into like uh, your journaling practice? And I was like, okay. So I started doing that with mm-hmm. objectification. I started doing that with sex work. I started doing that with different um, topics in my life. And to really get clear on like where I stood, at least in that moment, um, and really strengthening the self-connection. I think that's one of the most important reasons too, is because we experience everything through the lens of us. And so if we have that strong foundation, I I think everything else is only going to benefit. And it's definitely a way too of transcending pain through creativity, um, uh, supporting your mission or purpose Um, it gave my grief meaning and it also leaves a legacy behind and it brought a when I think of the fact that my dad didn't do it or he um, didn't have the tools or capability it's like in a way me writing about and sharing my journey with him memorializes him in some way and Mm. like also like leaving a tribute to him Um, and then you can get vulnerable and it's a way to observe your thoughts and behaviors and actions and kind of like a meditative sense too. And I found it easier to write it out and observe them versus sometimes just sitting there in silence and observing them and like, okay, let me write this stream of conscious and then I can review it. But that kind of thing. Whew, yeah, I, I know stream of consciousness, any uh, journaling, anyone that I know that has done that has said that it is like years of therapy because of what that what ends up coming out um and that they they feel the thing is too about getting it out you are so much more clear after getting it out like it's out of your head like you have all these thoughts so if you just do stream of consciousness journaling you move all that in the morning and then you're just so much more clear and at ease throughout the day so i know the power of that and um you know i feel that Anytime we turn something into art, there's power mm-hmm. in that, you know, like there's just so much power in art, whether that's dance, whether that's podcasting, whether that's, um, you know, writing. And you mentioned um, another point that I think is really powerful that I do with clients is that, you know, when we go into meditation <clears throat> and we go into that memory of when we were three, we have always carried it in our body, that experience from the three-year-old's perspective. Mm. But when we go in and we now see it from, uh, with new eyes, Mm -hmm. with new clarity, oh my God, it changes so much. And it changes how our body holds the memory. Mm. And so I can see that when you're actually writing about it, um, it's, it's a, it's that sort of meditation, you know, mm-hmm. and it changes, you know, Peter Levine's work talks about how trauma in, you know, the body keeps the score, um, trauma stored in the body as if it's still happening mm-hmm. until we complete the stress cycle. And I can really feel that writing about it is a form of completing that stress cycle because yeah. you can give it new meaning, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, so beautiful um, the narrative that you're telling yourself and, and like shit, yeah, it gives you a chance and opportunity to look at it from that perspective, that bird's eye perspective and see like, okay, 
I, and, and you can offer it through a compassionate lens. Like, okay, this is why, because of this early wounding, this is why I, you know, it's kind of like connecting the dots too. It's like, and seeing how everything did um, work for you in a sense too, instead of happening to you. And so it's, or it gives you the opportunity to at least approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my lot, I have one more thing about the book writing and then we'll do the lightning mm-hmm. round, but um, I think I, I brought this up last time we spoke, but something about my story when it comes to the people pleasing that is healing for that is there are times I've told my story on Fox news or the podcast or um, a blog, whatever it was where another person that was involved in that story would then be like, that's not what happened. And for a long time there, it made me question the validity of my experience and of my own truth and of what I was feeling. Like I started Mm -hmm. to wonder, like, is it what happened? And I had to like come to the realization that my experience as a five-year-old in that story is different than the 30 year old's experience in that story because everything is more intense for a five-year-old or even the teenager when I was 14 that I hitchhiked with, whatever the story is, our experiences are different because we're both coming from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Something that was scary or funny for me may have been the opposite for her, you know? And so Mm -hmm. um, I've really, I've really had to come to, because that was something that like for a long time I thought, well, I can't write or tell my story because some people might think it's a lie because they, they remember it differently, mm-hmm. but of course they remember it differently. They're a different being with a different life, you know? And yeah. for some reason I was so hung up on that for a long time. And I think that that was definitely the people pleaser and the self abandonment mm-hmm. um, that I carried. But now I've just come to realize that like, this was my experience. This was my interpretation of what happened this is what, how my body lived this, you know, this is what the memory that I carry is. And to not let someone else's memory being different cause either of us, as we talked about earlier, to be wrong. Like I'm not taking away their experience mm-hmm. either, you know, um, maybe they had, their intention was different than what the action felt like. And mm-hmm. that's okay, but it doesn't change the action that I experienced, yeah. you know? So you take away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Big journey there too, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I definitely faced that, uh, especially when my mom first read my book. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, this did not happen that way. I'm like, yeah, but coming from my perspective, from my lens, from my belief window, that's what it looked like to me. Or that's, that was the truth of my situation. That was the truth yeah. of my narrative and so that's what I think we have to circle back to is too is like what is true for me or what you know what was true for me in that moment and um I'm not saying that it's always the most easy thing especially whenever your your stories do um involve other people um I think one of those things that I got um hung up on was like okay how is someone going to react to this story or like I didn't want to harm someone by the telling of my story either Mm -hmm. and um but I think so. I just, one of my coaches said, said, you know, you own everything that happened to you and you're honoring yourself and you're honoring your creative longings. And in essence, you're honoring your life force energy by, by doing so. Mm-hmm. And um, so just, just go forth with that perspective. And it just gave me a lot of liberation and peace that like, okay, this is my story. 
Yeah. I'm trying to learn that balance because one of my soul lessons here is communication. Mm. Um, not just truthful communication because I'm, I'm pretty authentic, but, um, truthful, truthful communication in an uplifting way. I can speak the truth in a way that doesn't have to be, um, in a way that doesn't feel uplifting, you know, which I'm really learning that diplomacy. It's part of my gene keys mission. It's part of Mm. my soul lesson in my Vedic chart. And it's clearly what I volunteered for here. Uh, You know, as I'm podcasting and wanting to write a book, it makes perfect sense. Um, But I think, you know, and also living that life of Ahimsa, doing no harm to others, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there can be a way to share it that also um, recognizes that those people were doing the best they could from where they were at Mm -hmm. and that um, they offered me in some way a path of healing. Yeah. And you can offer that to the book by saying that now you see how that they were doing the best that they could and they offered you a path to healing. Um, and you can, I think that you can tell it in a compassionate way, or you can be, um, considerate, like with the sugar daddy guy that was in my life for so long, I sent him a copy of the book. I was like, Hey, I changed your name and some, the identifying details. I would want someone to let me know if I have a book <laughs> about me. Uh, here it is. It sounds a lot like me <laughs> in this New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, let me know if you have anything that, you know, is identifying or something that you really feel um, that would I would benefit from ch- changing. And if it's just like something like that, I have no qualms in doing that. And he brought something to my attention, like the name of a house. And he's like, that's a little too close for comfort for me. I was like, oh, I'd forgotten about that. That wasn't even like intentional. It was just like me recounting the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of, I'm glad I did that to, to help tell it in that sense yeah. too. Yeah. Really beautiful. I know. And um, it, I'm also reminded, I think I may have told you this before, but like I had told someone earlier in the year about like something like they mentioned something and I was like are you kidding me do you not remember this happening at this age you saying this after this and you know like you know telling the story and they were like that did not happen and this is as clear as day like this memory is certain for me there is no doubt I remember what I was wearing I remember what the room smelled like there's no fucking way this didn't happen but this person who had it happen, like who made it happen for me was saying that it didn't happen. And that one, I had to really um, come to a place of accepting that not receiving an apology from someone who can't, Mm. they cannot accept what they've done. Mm. They've they've gotten to a place where they had to black it out to survive. Otherwise they'd live in the new guilt. Wow. That, or it might be the, medication I don't know there's like something there that maybe it was because they were in you know people black out when they rage Mm -hmm. you know who knows what it was but the fact that they don't even have the memory I don't think that person's lying I don't Mm -hmm. think that they I don't think that when they say that didn't happen that they're lying I think that for them wow that's how they survived and don't carry that extreme guilt because if what they did to me if I did that to someone Mm -hmm. That would be like, I mean, 
it'd be a really hard thing for me to carry. Mm -hmm. And so just in the way that we sometimes black out trauma, even though they were the perpetrator of the trauma, mm -hmm. they may be blacking out things in the same way. And so that's just wow. another perspective of, you know, when someone has a different story than you, knowing that like, that may be how they survived it because yeah. it was such an ugly part of them that they have denied because they don't, they're not proud of it. You know, mm, that's so. a powerful fucking awareness. Yeah. And look at it through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it shifts you to a place of compassion mm -hmm. because before thinking like that person never fucking apologized, you know, like shifting to a place of like, if they apologize, they'd have to face themselves. Mm -hmm. and, it. and like, while yes, you at times hold yourself to that level of responsibility. For all I know, there's stuff I don't remember that I did. For all I know, you know, yeah. like I, I, there's one memory where I bullied a girl when I was 10 years old on a playground and I still fucking think about it. And I, oh my God, I have a moment like that. So like there's a part of me that's like, I'm, I could barely live with that memory. And I wish I knew that girl's name so I could apologize to her. You know, like there's all these thoughts, but I don't know. Yeah. That's just a funny thought. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I tell my kids that all the time. Like, look, I'm 37 and I still think about when I was 10 and I bullied that girl, like, don't you fucking bully people. Cause you'll you, like, you'll carry it with you. Like be the kind kid. Um, <laughs> but all right. So there's a few short questions. I like to ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Mm, right now you're safe. Mm. And you're loved. Yeah. Beautiful. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? I was thinking about this and I'm like, Courage by Osho. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I was skimming it earlier today and it was resonating. And I think that memoir writing is very courageous. And so yeah. courage. I love Osho. Mm -hmm. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Mm. Your story matters. Mm. You are enough. So good. All right. Before I let you go, where can people find you online? Where can they order your book? I just saw that you just recorded the audio version and I know people are huge on audiobooks. So yeah, yeah I'm in the, it's in the works. The audio book is in the works, but you can look um, on Amazon for the book and all of that good stuff. Uh, the Kindle and paperback and hardcover. And my website is kristenbirdwell.com. And I'm actually um, gearing up to launch a podcast too called Sex, Drugs, and Soul. Um, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> continue on. Yeah. There's been so many insights and learnings since 2019. I'm like, I got to have a platform or some kind of way to communicate these. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the page to life. <laughs> so, so excited for you. Amazing. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, you guys. I really liked her. I well, I loved her, and um, I can feel that we're going to be friends. And I, um, yeah, it just she felt almost like a childhood friend that was like I was catching up with, and so really looking forward to a new uh, budding friendship with her. And also, I just want to honor her because I've never done this before, uh, but her and I recorded like a month ago and it just and it, this has happened with other people but it just I didn't feel like it flowed as smoothly as I would have liked and it wasn't anyone's fault it was just where 
I don't know how we showed up to the call that day. And um, we talked about different things than we did today, actually, for the most part. But I just, I knew that there was something more that could be pulled from our conversation. And I've experienced that with other people in the past where I could feel, and this was not the case with her, but I could feel that they showed up to the call a bit angry or um, we didn't have a connection, which again was not the case with her, but there was some sort of disconnect or I just wasn't on my A game as a host. Uh, But in those situations, it's maybe happened three times. I didn't feel like I could necessarily like reach out to the person and be like, Hey, I know you already took an hour out of your time to record. Do you mind doing it again? Cause I think we could do better. But there was something about Kristen that I felt like she would be totally cool with that. Like, because she, she, it seemed like she enjoyed our conversation so much that like she would, first of all, be totally okay with having another, but also that she would, I felt that she would receive where I was coming from with understanding. And that is exactly what happened when I reached out to her and said like, Hey, I think we could go deeper. I didn't feel like I did a great job as a host last time. Do you mind if we drop in again? And she was like, Oh my gosh, I see this actually as a wonderful opportunity. Like she was so positive and um, full of gratitude around it. And so I just want to honor her in that because I have, I there wasn't in those other situations, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I love that she carries that type of um, safety in her energy that I felt like I could ask that. And so, um, yeah. And I also trusted that if it wouldn't work for her, that she'd tell me no, like, yeah. So I just, I I just want to honor her in that, that I felt safe to have that type of conversation with her and and make that request. And, and it worked out because I loved our conversation today. And, um, it, you know, we did, we, we got to drop in even more. And, and, uh, like I said, I feel like it's the budding of a new friendship. So, all right. If you want to support this show, you can leave a review, which, which would mean the world. I love reading your reviews. It also makes it easier for me to book guests. The more reviews I have, uh, you could also share this episode with a friend, or you could subscribe. If you're not a subscriber, hit subscribe so that you get future downloads. You could also support our affiliates, those who support our show. The first one I love so much is Gene Keys. Gene Keys has helped me understand myself in deeper ways. It's G-E-N-E Keys. If you use the link that I'll read off here, or um, it's also in my Instagram bio, it's also in the show notes. If you use that link, to do anything on their site, then I get a small cut. There's tons of free resources and there's um, some that are paid. I love the Venus program, which is all about love and the Pearl, which is all about prosperity. And then the one I'm currently enrolled in is the dream arc about how to use your dreams as messengers. They're very, um, they're very well-priced, very accessible. And the link is genekeys.com forward slash the dash dream dash ARC forward slash ref forward slash one seven zero seven forward slash uh yeah as i said i'll get a small cut if you do anything on there which is a way you can support the show and support richard rudd and his gene keys program because i just um god i love what they're doing and then the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com code jade gets you 15 percent off my favorite is the air aer it creates thrilling pulses of air around your clitoris, so you can go all the way as many way, as many times as you want. 
Uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite toys. And I like to pair it with my pleasure wand or my yoni egg. I uh, can actually teach, I, I'm certified to teach people how to use a pleasure wand and a yoni egg. Very, very, very powerful tools. Uh, there's so much I can say on them. I kind of want to do a solo cast on it. But the pleasure wand, you can get cervical orgasms. The yoni egg, you can tone and de-armor your yoni, which tones your face as well. Just so much stuff on these guys. So wands at W-A-A-N-D-S.com. Code Jade for a discount there. And then all things infrared at higher dose. Code Jade75 for $75 off. I love the women who created these products. And I love their products. Their um, sauna blanket is kind of a lifesaver for me because I don't have time to get to the gym all the time to sweat and uh but sweating is really necessary for me and detoxing and uh, it's also infrared so there's so many benefits to that and I feel amazing after I also love their infrared face mask and their bioenergy mat all right thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me it would mean so much if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend you can also join me on instagram at untamed and unashamed podcast as always be a light stay open and remember you belong here Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.